Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. And it is very warm. Um, if anyone's feeling faint, please feel to go, uh, go out and, and get a drink of water or have a cool down outside. Our service this morning will be led by our Minister Katrina, and this is the second in our summer Team Builder series. Everything we need to follow the service is both on our printed order and will be on the screen. Please stay and have a cup of tea or coffee if you can. And then our evening service at 7pm will be held in Wellington Church, and that service will also be led by Katrina. Just one or two items of family news. Um, as you know, in this church we share everything and we've passed the chicken pox on. Uh, and so now Bardia has chicken pox. Uh, so we may or may not see the family this morning. Uh, and Morag is here this morning. You need to speak to her afterwards about this new eye makeup she's got because she managed to fall during the week, not once but twice on the same day. So uh, you'll need to have a word with Morag after the service. And then just to say, although that we're lucky enough to have Bayar with us for another couple of months, this will be uh, Nami and Mando's last day with us. So don't let them go today without uh, letting them know how much we've appreciated them being part of our church and of our Sunday school for this last year. Next Sunday at 11am, our morning service will be led by Katrina. And at 7pm, our evening service in Wellington Church will be led by Marion Cowie. These are all our notices. You get the water. <laughs> Absolutely, anybody? Anyone want some water? Feel free. I mean, if, I'm quite happy to share my germ water if you're happy to share my germs. That seems fair to me. Let's just keep a, a few moments of stillness, for we are in the presence of our loving God. And our call to worship comes from the message paraphrase of Psalm 139. God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. I am an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me and you're there, then up ahead and you're there too. Your reassurance presence, both coming and going. This is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all in. Our opening hymn of worship is a very old hymn but it is a timeless hymn that speaks of that God who is always with us our God our help in ages past our hope for years to come our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home if we're able we are invited to stand as we sing
come to God in prayer and as is our normal practice I will lead us in a shortish prayer and then we will join together in the Lord's prayer in the languages and versions that are for us the most natural and normal so let's pray together thank you God for this new day full of opportunities for living life Thank you for the people in our lives who love us, just as we are. Thank you for the way that you have made us, each one different, and all of us delighting your eye. Thank you that you know us through and through, and never give up on us. Thank you that today, as always, you surround us with your never-ending love. The thing is, though, God, sometimes the people who love us let us down, and sometimes we let down the people we love. Sometimes we don't like the way we are, and envy people who are different and sometimes we don't like the way other people are and think that we are somehow better than them sometimes we don't stop to think how our words or deeds might affect other people and sometimes we don't believe as if we believe your promises at all For all those times, we are sorry. Help us to know ourselves better. Help us to be gentle with ourselves and kind to others. Help us to value one another and support each other as we seek to extend your sovereignty in all creation. And we pray for that now as we say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Now, last week I was a bit mean, and I tried to get you to do something that was too scary. So, I'm not going to be quite so mean this week. We're going to have a little quiz, but it's not going to be a quiz where I ask questions and you call out the answers, because I know some people find that a bit difficult as well. Some people don't like to put their hand up and um, say it in case they get it wrong. So I've printed out lots of copies of a quiz with eight questions and we're going to basically each row or each couple of rows is going to have about, I'm going to give you about three or four minutes in these groups to see what if you can answer these questions. So to discuss amongst 
your, the people in your row. You might like to share with the row behind because there's not many of you. I think you're probably okay as a three. So eight questions in your row. Um, do you want to... You can turn around to the row behind. You can do it in, along your row. You have to share a question sheet and work together with people to answer, have a go at answering these questions. You're right, you can stay there or you can turn around and get work with this team. So. She might be trans are you translating, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. El Elham's <laughs> translating, that's okay. She's trans no, she's translating. She's, she, but she's, she's translating. But Elham is translating from English to Farsi. You carry on. Um, not using smartphones, we've already had that conversation. Okay, you can if you like. <laughs> okay, I'll let you off, Ken. Okay, we have got a few people who are either cheating or using their initiative. We will debate which by using smartphones. So, um, using Jeff is good. Okay, I'm going to give you another 30 seconds. Okay, that's it. Your time is up. So well done, everybody, for taking part. Um, we did have a few interesting debates about whether smartphones were allowed or not. Um, I didn't see, personally didn't see any problem in using smartphones to translate English into Farsi. That seemed like a perfectly reasonable use of a smartphone. Um, there were also a few people looking up answers. And somebody was incredibly honest and plonked their smartphone in the middle of the floor so they couldn't possibly use it. So that's great. So well done for having a go at that. Let's see. I know you didn't have enough time, but there's not enough time to do everything, unfortunately. Let's see how we go on. Who can tell me the names of Joseph's father and mother? Jacob and his mother? Rachel. Rachel. Yep, Jacob and Rachel, yes. Just with a little bit of a dance there, okay? All right, so who was the eldest brother? Reuben was the eldest brother. It wasn't Benjamin, and I, I think I heard Simeon over there as well. Not Simeon, it was Reuben. Reuben is the eldest. Who was number 11 in the family? No. The sister, yes. Dinah or Dinah, the sister, was the 11th child in the, in the family to be born. Who was number 12? Joseph. And who was the last one? Benjamin. Benjamin. Right. Well done, this team. Okay, it gets a bit more tricky now. How old does the Bible tell us Joseph was when he had the dreams that angered his brothers so much? And I'll give you up to three years either way. Some people have had a go, because I saw it when I... We tried 12. You tried 12, okay. No, I, I, I think 8 or no, 9. 8 or 9, okay. Anybody else? No? I did actually see a 16 written down, but they're too shy to say. That's really close. He was 17, according to the Bible. They're so 17 years old. It's very strange. I spotted that for the first time ever when I was reading it this week. Okay, after Joseph was thrown into prison... Who were the two people whose dreams he was able to interpret? Yeah, the baker and the butler. The cupbearer and the baker. So, sorry? Yeah, you got that one? This is clearly the swatty Bible class here. Okay. <laughs> How old does the Bible tell us that Joseph was when he entered the service of Pharaoh? If he was 17 when he had the dreams. He's got to be older than 17. <laughs> so what do you think? I'll give you five years either way on this one. 
Sorry? 21, somebody thinks. Okay, any other guesses? You think 19? Okay, it tells us he was 30. So a long time goes past and we know nothing. Okay, the dreams that Joseph interpreted for Pharaoh, what were... Yeah, seven fat cows and seven thin cows. And what was the other one? Yeah, seven full ears of corn and seven empty ears of corn. Nearly there now. Okay, number seven. In whose luggage did Joseph hide the silver cup? Benjamin. Benjamin. Yep, it was Benjamin. And why did he do that? Okay, so Benjamin was the father's new favourite. So why would he put it in his father's new favourites? See what the brothers would do, okay? Yeah, he wanted him to stay back. So he was being quite devious, really, wasn't he? He was, he was trying to, to, to make a point um, that they wouldn't understand. And did anybody get as far as thinking of characteristics that Joseph had? Devious, okay. <laughs> anybody get as far as that one? Yeah, so what did you think? Arrogant. Arrogant, okay, yeah. Proud. Proud. Did you say? Proud, Proud yeah. yeah. Kind as well. Kind. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. So we're going to look today at the story of Joseph. And the scripture union material that I'm basing this story on, that this service on, far more loosely than I originally intended to, it has to be said, um, it's called Joseph the Big Head. And it was because he was full of his own importance at the age of 17. And as I looked at what they were doing, it was like he thought it was all about him. So that was where I came up with the heading of no I in team. Whether we actually get to that today, I'm not sure, but never mind. So what we're going to do is just enjoy some music that was written when I was still at primary school. So it's pretty old, but it's from the musical Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Joseph's mother, she was quite my favourite wife I never really loved another all my life And Joseph was my joy because he reminded me of her Through young Joseph, Jacob lived his youth again Loved him, praised him, gave him all he had But then it made the rest feel second best And even if they were being told we're all surrounds does not make us Joseph fans. But where they have really missed the boat is we're great guys, but no one seems to notice Joseph's charm and winning smiles fail to slay them in the aisles. And their father couldn't see the danger. He could not imagine any danger. He just saw in Joseph all his dreams come true. <coughs> Jacob wanted to show the world he loved his son to make it clear that Joseph was the special one. So Jacob bought his son a coat, a multicolored coat to wear. Joseph's coat was elegant, the cut was fine, the tasteful style was the ultimate in good design. And this is why up and stare and when joseph tried it on he knew his sheepskin days were gone such a dazzling coat of many colors how he loved his coat of many colors in a class above the rest it even went well with his best such a Brothers weren't too pleased with what they saw. We had never liked him all that much before, and now this coat has got our goat. We feel life is unfair. And when Joseph graced the scene, his brothers turned a shade of green. His astounding clothing took the biscuit. Quite the smoothest person in the district. I look handsome. I look I am a walking work of art Such a dazzling coat of many colours 
and yellow and green and brown and scarlet and black and ochre and peach and ruby and olive and violet and violet and handsome violet smiles I am a walking word of silver and such a dazzling coat of many colors how I love my coat of many colors orange and blue yellow green brown scarlet black ochre peach and ruby and olive and violet and fawn and lilac and gold and chocolate and mauve and cream and crimson and silver and rose azure and lemon and russet and gray and purple and white and pink and orange and blue it's quite a lot of colors isn't it probably wasn't multicolored but never mind The Bible story today is in the form of a paraphrase, and it's a paraphrase of a paraphrase. Um, I looked at what Scripture Union offered us by way of a paraphrase, and it was great, but it's always nice to write it in your own words, isn't it? So I wonder if any of us has ever had the sense that we were in some way special. Perhaps we've discovered that we're really good at something. Some people are really good at sport. Some people are really good at art. Other people are brilliant at learning languages. I'm not great at any of those. Perhaps you're somebody that people look to for leadership or guidance. Maybe you're somebody who's really cool under pressure. Maybe you are really knowledgeable about something. Or maybe there is a cause that really gets you going, gets you excited, gets you passionate. The person at the centre of the Bible story today, Joseph, was a young man who had a special gift. But at the very least, he was a bit daft in how he went about telling his brothers and his sister about it. You see, Joseph came from a very complicated family. Where should I begin? Oh, goodness me. Well, his dad, Jacob, was the younger of two twin brothers. And his dad, Jacob, was, let's be polite and say sly and cunning and a bit deceitful. And he tricked his own dad... Isaac into thinking he was his older brother Esau by disguising himself with some fur and he got the blessing for the older son. The trouble was this got found out and so in terror he fled for his life. And after he had fled for his life he went to a man called Laban who was a distant relative and he fell head over heels in love with his younger daughter Rachel. All he wanted to do was marry Rachel. And he said, if I can marry Rachel, I will work for you for no pay for seven years. And Laban said, okay, sounds like a deal to me. But Laban was pretty tricky too. And in those days, when you got married, you were completely covered in a veil. And the veil wasn't lifted until after the ceremony. So they went through the ceremony and Joseph got married and he lifted up the veil and it wasn't Rachel. It was her older sister, Leah. So he was now married to Leah and with Leah came her servant girl who was also available to him. But he still wanted to marry Rachel. So he said, well, okay, I'll do another seven years if I can marry Rachel. And Laban said, okay. So he did the seven years, and he married Rachel, and she brought her servant girl as well. So years went by, and children started to be born. Leah had four healthy boys, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And then the first of the servant girls, Bilhah, had two boys called Dan and Asher. And then... Zilpah had Asher and Gad, Gad and then Asher, in fact. And it wasn't more long before Leah had two more children, two more boys, Issachar and Zebulun. And then she had a little girl, Dina or Dinah. I wonder how that felt, suddenly having a girl after all those boys. But it still wasn't really what Jacob wanted. Finally, his favourite wife, Rachel, had a baby boy who he called Joseph. And he was so excited. And 
Joseph was his favourite. He spoiled him rotten. The older boys were pretty much grown up by now, so they would often be out working. But Joseph stayed close to home. He was a bit of a mummy's boy, as well as being a spoiled one by his dad. And then his dad had this idea to make him this beautiful garment, an ornamented coat, or a coat of many colours, or a coat with long sleeves. We're not quite sure how to translate it into English. But the point of this coat was you couldn't go to work in it. You couldn't be in the fields looking after sheep or goats. You couldn't harvest wearing a beautiful coat. You could just swan around and say, look at me. And Joseph did. And then came another boy, another baby boy, Benjamin. And this was a really sad story because Rachel, who was the mother of Joseph and Benjamin, died in childbirth. So Joseph had no mum. He had a stepmom, he had his two sort of aunties, but his own mom had died. When he was about 17, or 17 exactly as the Bible tells us, he began to dream strange dreams. He had this dream that he and his brothers were all out in the fields gathering up the wheat into sheaves, and they stood there, their sheaves, and everybody else's bowed to his. Because he was the best, after all. And then he had another dream, which is a bit like this picture, that the sun and the moon and the stars, all in the heavens, bowed to him. And he was daft enough to go and tell his brothers and sisters that he'd had these dreams. He said, well, you know, I had these dreams like this, so I'm the greatest, aren't I? Well, they didn't like that very much. In fact, they so didn't like it that the older brothers planned to do away with Joseph. They were going to kill him. That is not a happy family, is it? That is not a healthy family. So, what happened? Well, one day, the older brothers had been sent far away from home to do some work, and Jacob finally sent Joseph out to see them. And they saw him coming, and they were, what should we do? What should we do? Reuben, who was the oldest, said, let's actually not kill him. Let's just hide him in this hole in the ground and leave him there. Because Reuben was thinking, and later on, I can get him out and send him home and maybe he'll learn his lesson. But Reuben had to go a bit further away to do some more work. And whilst he was away, a load of travelling uh, nomads came by, people slave traders, and they thought, ha-ha, this is our chance, let's sell Joseph. So the brothers got him out, and they sold him to the slave traders. They took off his coat and just sent him off. When Reuben came back, he was mortified. He was scared. What was his dad going to say? But he wasn't brave enough to stand up for the truth. So he and his brothers got together and made up a story. They said, I know, let's kill one of the goats and let's dip the coat in the blood and then we can take that back home to our father, Jacob, and say, something awful's happened. We don't know what. It looks like some wild animals have actually got hold of Joseph and, and killed him and eaten him up and all that's left is his coat doesn't sound a very plausible story but that's the story they went back and told their dad and that's the story he believed many 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 years later Joseph's dream would come true his brothers would all bow down to him but by that time he and they had perhaps learned a few things along the way. Learned not to pull in different directions. Learned not to think it's all about me. Learned that actually, we need each other. So we're going to have an opportunity to continue to reflect on that in a minute. But before we do that, as it's uh, Nami and Mandel's last day with us, would you two like to come and stand with me just for a minute? Because we, one of the things we love to do when people are moving away is to thank God for them 
and to pray them on their way. So it's been wonderful having you with us. And I wonder if you're going to be really brave. Can you tell me one thing you've really liked about being in our church? Can you think of anything you've really liked about the time you've had in... Tell us about what, something you've liked in Scotland then. Church might be too hard. Something in Scotland that you've really liked. Oh, putting you on the spot now. The Science Centre. You liked the Science Centre. I liked the Science Centre. Was there anything you really like about Scotland or anything? You think? No? What are you looking forward to about going back home? Um, seeing my puppy. Seeing your puppy? I never knew you had a puppy. Do you think it'll still be a puppy or do you think it'll have grown into a big dog by now? I'm grown into a big Yeah, dog. I think it will. That'll be lovely. And what are you looking forward to? You don't know? Okay. Well, I'm sure it will be lovely. And it's very mean, very mean of me to put you on the spot like that. But we would like to pray a special blessing on you. Nami and Mandel, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Loving God, please watch over Nami and Mandel and the rest of their family as they travel home. We're so grateful to have had them in our church for all that they have shared of themselves and for all the joy that they've brought us. So bless them, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So options are you can stay and listen to me, which is going to be great. Um, you can go and do something over the way. I just thought I'd show you um, the amazing work that was begun last week. Uh, one of the options is to create a banner or help to create a banner. And a very small team of people have given us a brilliant head start on that. Now, you might say, I can't sew or I can't design or I can't do this. But you might be able to cut out or, or pin or, or something. So if you fancy being part of that project, give it a go. We've also got dream catchers to make and some jewellery making. Um, Emma and Morag are the chief jewellery makers in the place. So whether they feel like helping you with that, I have no idea. Um, and there's colouring and there's also crash activity. So if you fancy that, go next door. There are also um, some questions that you, if you fancy having a conversation about some questions, those are out there. If you stay here... Um, ignore the bit that says questions to prompt conversation because I haven't left any in here. But there um, is some colouring at the back if you'd like to do that. So there will be some music and you can just move around anywhere you'd like to move around to. And when you hear that same music again in about 20, 25 minutes, it will be time to come back together. Thanks, Paul. One of the challenges if you're a preacher is that you often plan weeks or months ahead a series of services and you start to think where that will go and how it might develop. And then real life happens, sometimes a little bit before or sometimes right up close. And this week I have worked quite hard on looking at this story of Joseph and his family and the roles of the different siblings within it and their stories within it. And I wrote a sermon and it was reasonable. It was okay. Needed a bit of work, but, you know, it would have done, I thought, quite nicely. And then I just knew it wasn't the right sermon because this has been a week in which actually some of that was too close to the reality that has been going on for us. I'm sure, like me you've been following the story of the young boys who are trapped with their football coach in a cave system in Thailand. It's, it's a, a strange story and it's really difficult to get your head around. And it's been really heartbreaking watching the footage of people trying to get there and trying to work out what to do. Can we pump the water out? Should we go to the other end? Just this morning, they have decided they have to go in and do their best to get them out. 
knowing that some of them can't swim. None of them have ever used underwater breathing apparatus. And some of those passages are really tight. You can't tell glib stories against that background. And then there have been the events on Butte that have unfolded. And it was a continuing unfolding of that story that really put the tin lid or the hems or whatever on what I was going to say, because that was far too close to aspects of the story of Joseph and his family. A little girl taken from home, raped and murdered. A young man just 16 years of age arrested. Two families that will never be the same. In the story of Joseph and his family, we have rape, we have sexual abuse, we have murder, we have violence. It will be too close to home to unpack that today. It's also been the week in which we've marked 70 years since the inception of the National Health Service. And if you want a random connection, because I quite like random connections, when I was learning to be a minister and I did my first official visit to a hospital wearing a dog collar, it was to Trafford General, which was the very first NHS hospital to be officially recognised. And I was visiting a lady called Anne who was having a hip replacement. There you go. But there have been other memorials this week. Piper Alpha, and of course, 7-7 in London. And in all of these, in the, in the story of the NHS at 70, in the responses to Piper Alpha and the responses to 7-7, we have heard many times the language of team and together and everybody doing their bit and people not putting themselves first. Maybe in the model and reality of the world around us, we actually see both the challenge and the sermon that I could have preached. Last week, we reminded ourselves that every single one of us is unique and precious in the sight of God, and that together we are already the body of Christ. We're not on our way to being in it, though we are developing as it. We are it. Everybody is unique. Everybody is important. And everybody needs to play their part if the whole is to flourish. So why Joseph? Why this young arrogant, big-headed man. Because I don't know about you, but I don't really identify much with Joseph. I don't think I was arrogant when I was younger, though I was quite confident. And the truth is that most of us here actually put ourselves down, sell ourselves short, are reluctant to take risks because we don't want to get it wrong or look silly or mess up. So maybe there are things we can learn from this story by recognising our own strengths and weaknesses as well as the strengths and weaknesses of Joseph and his brothers. I don't know about you, um, but when I was growing up, I, I learned this story at school as well as at Sunday school, long before Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice decided to make a musical out of it. And I was still at primary school when that musical came out, so it is pretty old, and that was an early recording. That was a recording of the original stage version. But I was taught, basically, that Joseph was the hero Joseph was a good guy, you know. Joseph was the one you aspired to be like. So I was really grateful when the Scripture Union material I'm looking at said, hang on, let's look at this another way. Joseph was actually a bit of an upstart. He was full of his own importance. 
yeah, okay, he'd been given this gift to interpret dreams, and he seemed to be being told that he was going to be important, but surely going out and bragging about it didn't help. And the idea, if it's done in a holiday club, would be to explore with children that, you know, we don't think we're better than others. We don't brag about our own importance. And those are all good things to think about. But there has to be more to it than just that simple Joseph good, Joseph bad dichotomy. This week, I reread the whole story of Joseph and his siblings. That's Genesis chapters 29 to 50. Uh, anybody wants a little bit of homework, you can do, and do that. Because I wanted to try to get a better understanding of the context, the background that influenced them, the kind of relationships that existed within their family. Because I had at the back of my head this question about nature and nurture. Was Joseph arrogant because Joseph was arrogant? Or was there something in the way he'd been brought up that had led that to emerge as a, as a dominant characteristic. And I played with that for a while, but it wasn't actually quite satisfactory. And the third thought came into my head that was basically, was Joseph just a 17-year-old boy, 17-year-old man in his con context? Was he just an adolescent was it just the way you are, can be at that age? And I thought back really hard to when I was, well, to when I was 16. And it was another gorgeous summer. And I actually remember in that summer having completed my O-levels, because I was in England and that's what we did down there. And I'd gone for a walk. And I was thinking, I thought quite soberly to myself about myself and what A-levels I might take and the direction my life might go. It was a bit of a weird child doing all this thinking, but there you go. And I thought, you know what, I don't half know a lot of stuff now. I'm actually, you know, I'm quite clever, me, and I'm quite well informed. And I didn't think I was being big-headed. I was just being a 16-year-old who has been to school for a long time, for most of their life, and therefore thinks, yeah, actually, I do know stuff. Uh, surprising to say, that sense of knowing a lot didn't last very long. And I have another equally vivid memory of sitting in the basement of the library at Queen Mary College in the East End of London, writing an essay on the effect of ionising radiation on structural materials in nuclear reactors. Sounds very grand and very impressive. But I can remember sitting there with this book and looking at shelf after shelf after shelf after shelf of books. And realising that they were all full of stuff that I could never know. If I lived to be a million, I could never read every book in that library. I could never assimilate all that knowledge. And so I started to mature, to realise that, yes, I do know stuff, and yes, I do have gifts, but there's so much more that's beyond me. I think life, in all its adventures has taught me a lot. And in some ways, Katrina at 55 and a half is not the same as Katrina at 16 and a half or 20 and a half. And yet, deep down, I am still me. I am the same person. I have the same inherent gifts and skills and personality that I always had. I still don't have a fat lot of confidence. I still don't always say what I want to say. I still don't always get it right. But I think what's changed is that I've learned somehow that my story fits in a bigger story. That the gifts and skills that I have, the knowledge that I have, they're not just given to me for me, so that I might excel and get yet more letters after my name. I have far too many as it is actually the gifts and skills and abilities and the personality that I have are for sharing, for being used in community alongside those of other people who have different gifts and skills and abilities and personalities for the good of all. The last scene in the story of Joseph is a very beautiful one. 
after everything that's happened, and it's been pretty horrible at times, there have been some very bad behaviour. There has been murder, there has been sexual abuse, there has been violence, all sorts of things that are just not good. Finally, these 12 men, Dinar doesn't get a mention, but I'd like to think she was there altogether. And now comes a moment when the brothers think, you know, Joseph could actually wreak a lot of revenge on us. He, he, his dreams have come true. He's a powerful man. He's number one after Pharaoh in Egypt. And Jacob had said to his sons before he died, look, what I want you to do is to go to Joseph and say sorry. And I want you to offer to be his slaves, his servants. And so they do. And in a scene that the 16-year-old Joseph may have dreamed of, there are the brothers bowed down at his feet. But he's changed, as have they. He's, who knows, 50, 60 years old, so his brothers are 70, 75, 80 even, some of them. Old men on their knees. And he says, no, 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 this is wrong. Get up. Get up. I'll look after you. We're in this together. Finally, after pulling in different directions, Reuben looking after Reuben, Jacob, Judah looking after Judah, and so on, they have found a way to be together. Now, it is a happy ending. and I know life isn't always like that. But it's also a story about real people that took decades to work out. It didn't happen in the few pages that we read, that I read. It's a story about a God who is present even when God is silent and even when it seems God is impotent. Why on earth did God not intervene to protect Dinar and Tamar? Where was God? Or why was God not active in Butte or in, in Thailand? The questions are the same, that they always were. I do believe God's present. I don't know why God has not done something to stop these things happen. I don't have the answers. What I do know is that in the Joseph story, we see a God who never stops loving these screwed up, mixed up, muddled up brothers and journeys with them helping them to use their experiences to grow and mature. God loves all of those brothers, and God loves all of us. And in the good times and the bad times, God's there, not to magically make it better, because that would actually keep us as little children, but to help us to learn and grow and hopefully live a more healthy a more whole life. It's really easy, I think, to draw simple lessons from stories like this that actually are not very realistic. Very easy to say, well, there's no I in team. We all know there's no I in team. But it isn't always that easy to live it out. It was interesting yesterday morning. I, I don't watch football. I have zero interest in football. It actually doesn't bother me in the slightest that England are in the semi-finals of the World Cup. It really doesn't. But there was somebody on the new on the on the radio program yesterday. It wasn't even a sports person. He said, "You know, I think I know why they've done better this time." And the sports person said, "Oh," he said, "Yeah, because they're a team." He said, "If you look back." It was all Paul Gascoigne and his minions. It was all David Beckham, the great goal scorer, and a few minions. It was all Wayne Rooney and some minions. And now we haven't got any of that. So they have to work together. They have to be a team. And it's been interesting hearing the reporting about Gareth Southgate. Um, 
I'd never heard of before, because I say I'm not interested in this. A man who was ridiculed because he missed a penalty that would have got a win, apparently, but who had the humility to go to a young Colombian who had missed a penalty and embrace him and say, I know what this feels like. A man who has just got on with his job building team. And I guess there is something in that that's what we try to be about. It's not about me, even if I was the world's most amazing preacher, which actually I'm not, I'm a good enough preacher, and that's fine. It's not about any one of us, it's about all of us. And we all have to do our little bits, and we all have to muddle along together. So where do we go with any of this? What do we do in a week in which a six-year-old girl has been raped and murdered and a 16-year-old boy, stroke man, now faces a life potentially in prison? What do we do when a young football team are trapped in caves and nobody can guarantee that they will get them out alive? I don't have any answers to those questions that have much meaning other than to say we sit alongside them. But these are our brothers and sisters, all of them. And that God, who is full of grace and mercy and love, and shows grace and mercy and love to us, also offers that to them. It's not a tidy sermon. It doesn't really pick up the no I in T theme very well. And I'm really conscious that even by the brief allusions I've made to the story, I may have touched nerves in people, people for whom issues of violence and sexual abuse or, or anything else in this story are very real. So please, if you've been hurt or feel concerned as a result of any of that, speak to me before you go. Don't take it away and, and, and worry about it. The Apostle says to us, if one part in the body suffers, we all suffer. So if somebody here goes home today and they just are hurt and damaged and they've not had an opportunity to share that, then we actually all suffer. As we listen together, as we learn together, as we love one another, so we become the team or the family that God has called us to be. Because God created families. So let us sing about that now.
going to bring to God our prayers for others and then at the end of that we will have the music again as we come back together and once we are all together again at that point we will take up our offering so let's come to God in prayer let's pray loving God as we have thought about the messy family into which Joseph was formed born and remind ourselves that this is a story capable of redemption we bring our prayers for a messy world that needs the transformation of Christ's work to be fully achieved we think of the families whose tragic stories have been in the news this week we pray for the family of Alicia McPhail whose death has so shocked the communities of which they are part, that they would be able to offer to each other solace and comfort in these early days of grieving and to strengthen one another in the long months ahead. We pray also for the young man arrested for Alicia's rape and murder. Behind that headline is a real person, a story untold but known to you. We pray that he will be granted fairness and justice and that rehabilitation, not retribution, will follow. We pray for those who love him, that they will find the strength and courage they need in the coming weeks months and even years we pray for the young boys trapped in the cave in Thailand aware that behind the smiling faces on our television screens and the poignant letters home there will be deep emotions of fear anxiety maybe anger and many more. United in their quest for survival, may they find the deep resources to support and encourage one another. We pray also for the family of the man who died already during this rescue attempt, that his family will be supported and comforted in their time of loss. We pray for the boys' families, able to see them, but not able to hold or embrace them, living with uncertainty, managing their own emotions and trying to stay positive and strong. May they find the support they need, especially today as rescue is attempted and continuing when it all fades from our television screens. And yes, we pray for safety and efficacy in this rescue attempt. We pray for Dawn Sturgis and Charlie Rowley, two people whose lives are now irrevocably altered by the contact with the nerve agent Novichok. We've heard the veiled references to a lifestyle that may have been part of this and inferences made about their character as if they might somehow be lesser mortals. We remind ourselves that they are precious, your precious children. And we pray for the medical staff who are treating them, knowing that they will do their very best to bring them through this ordeal.
We pray for Amesbury Baptist Church and all the other groups and organisations affected by this tragedy. Buildings closed, communities scattered. Strengthen them in love, in compassion and in hope that they might continue to flourish. They might continue to grow as the people you call and equip them to be and that they will remain open to reaching out into their wider community to share that love. We remember those who are affected by the tragedies that we know as Piper Alpha and as 7-7, who many years later live with the scars of injury and also the scars of loss, regret, and sorry. Surround them too with your love and bring them the wholeness of your healing, we pray. And lastly, we pray for ourselves, for our own families, however we might define family. Where there is hurt, bring healing. Where there is anger, bring calm. Where there is discord, bring harmony. Where there is division, bring unity. Whatever is good, lovely, kind and hopeful, may it flourish in our families and may each one of us mature in love, in faith and in hope. For we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Loving God, we make that song our prayer, that as we give, bring our gifts of money, we bring also our gift of community, our gift of love, our gift of unity in diversity, and ask that you would bless all of those things to the glory of your name. Amen. So we sing our closing hymn, Brother, Sister, let me serve you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant.
as we go from here, may God bless us with gifts of self-worth, self-awareness and self-love. And may we be encouraged and empowered to express our true humanity for the good of all, today and every day. <laughs>